wanna share this with you today. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse two, says, now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines, pomegranates. I would be like, that's heaven to me. I don't need any of that stuff anyway. (laughs) And there's no water to drink. I only need Mountain Dew. What are they complaining about? Like, I don't get it. (laughs) Verse six says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and they fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. Think about that. It's water. That's a strange statement, isn't it? As if the water is in it already. (laughs) That's wild. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, You will not bring this community into the land I have given them. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word today. And we pray over these next few moments together that you would speak clearly to us, transform and change our lives in ways that only you can. And we give you glory and honor for that. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody in the room said amen if you can. Amen. You know, each relationship that you have in your life is nurturing in you a strength or a weakness. Every relationship that you have is nurturing or developing in you a strength or a weakness. And Moses had some serious weaknesses when it came to how he dealt with the relationships in his life. It's a very interesting story to me, and the thing that stands out to me the most in this story in Numbers chapter 20 is how sorry I feel for Aaron in this story. Aaron is also judged by God and told he cannot go into the land of promise. And all he was doing was standing beside of Moses when Moses lost his cool and he hit the rock. But the Bible tells me in Proverbs 22, 24 through 25, it says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Is there anybody else in the room got in trouble because you were with a troublemaker? This is what happened to Aaron. This sticks out to me. I feel so bad for this guy. He's got to be like, when he gets to heaven, he's got to be like, God, like I was literally, I was just standing there. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say anything. Moses hit the rock. I just looked at him like he was crazy when he did it. That's all I did. But God had that same judgment for Aaron Because somewhere in their relationship, Aaron should have recognized what was going on in Moses' life as a friend and confronted him over his anger. And so because they never dealt with each other, God dealt with them collectively. 
there's a responsibility that comes to being in relationship with someone. Moses is an interesting character study because Moses could part waters, but he couldn't control his temper. Moses could do miracles, but he couldn't manage personal relationships. Moses could call plagues from heaven, but he would distance himself from his own wife and kids. Moses had some serious relational difficulties. And Moses' life is important to understand because the Bible says about Moses, and even though Moses wrote, them, wrote this about himself, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man in the entire world. Now, Moses did write that about himself, but God allowed it. <laughs> and so how does the meekest man in the world lose his cool? And if Moses, the meekest man in the world, could lose his cool, how much do we need to guard our lives and our own hearts? The Bible says something very interesting in Judges chapter three. It says that the Lord, when the people of God had entered into the promise, it says that the Lord left nations there so that the people who had not fought would be taught how to war. There was a generation that came up that had never had to fight in a war. And so when they entered into the promise, God actually left nations around them so that they would learn how to fight. This is one thing we have to understand is that even our enemies as a child of God, even our enemies cannot destroy or defeat the purpose of God in our lives. If we don't let them, if we will learn how to manage even our, in, our, even our enemies, we will be able to be who God has called us to be. And as a child of God, your enemies cannot destroy your life. They really are there to elevate you and to push you into your purpose. But if you don't know how to navigate the relationships of your life, you'll fall into so many traps that the devil sets for you relationally. And, and you'll, think that, you'll think that you're just a failure. But no, you're not by yourself in this. You'll think that you're alone in this. But no, you're not by yourself in this. This happens to everybody. It happened to Moses it can happen and may be happening to you right now. The interesting portion of scripture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. The Bible says there, it says, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Think about that. He says, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, but be patient with everyone. In my house, I have four kids. Well, I have three living with me now. And every one of my kids were different. And if I tried to deal with all four of my kids the same way, it could have been a real mess in my life. But you have to learn how to be intelligent relationally. This is why he says in 1 Thessalonians, he says you have to know if somebody is idle and disruptive, you warn them. If they're disheartened, you encourage them. If they're weak, you help them. You give strength, you give patience to everyone, but you deal with idle people one way. You deal with disruptive people one way. You deal with weak people another way. You deal with disheartened people this way. And the problem for us is we don't know how to deal with people in different ways. 
We try to deal with everybody the same way. And there is a strategy that God wants to give you so that you can be effective in your relationships. Is anybody in the room thankful that God doesn't leave me all by myself when it comes to dealing with the relationships that are in my life? So he teaches me, I want you to be idle. I want you, or I want you to warn those that are idle. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I want to just give you some thoughts on how to deal with people in your life. Because sometimes, sometimes, anybody, anybody got some difficult people in your life? You don't have to respond to that right now because <laughs> you might be sitting beside of them. You don't have to do this. You don't have to be like that. Or you don't have to, they're not even here this morning. That's, they didn't even want to come to church this morning. That's how difficult they were. I left their butt at home today. That's, that's how it went in my house. So I, you don't have to respond. But I, I'm sure every person in this room has to deal with someone who is difficult or someone who is, who is tough to handle, someone who is tough to deal with. And the first thing that we need to understand is one of the, one of the mistakes Moses made was he never learned how to rule his spirit. Christian, you got to learn how to rule your spirit. In Numbers chapter 14, the Bible says that when the people were complaining against Moses, it says that they fell on their faces. In Numbers 20, they fell on their faces and the Lord appeared to them. But in, in Numbers chapter 14, they fell on their faces out, out of being overwhelmed. This wasn't like they were calling out to God. They fell on their faces because they were so discouraged by what the people were saying to them. And Joshua had to come in and step up for the leaders and say, hey, this is, this is, we can do this. We can take this land. We can do what God is calling us to do. We can, we can, we can take our enemies. God is gonna empower us and God is gonna strengthen us. While Moses and Aaron are laying on the floor crying, Joshua is dealing with the people. So no wonder Joshua was able to take the people in when Moses was only able to take them out. So think about this for a moment. You need to learn how to rule your own spirit. Proverbs 16 and 32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit better than he who can take a city. I found something out. As a dad, as a husband, as a leader, some things only become a big deal if I make them a big deal. And I have the authority in certain situations to make stuff a bigger deal than it has to be or to make it a smaller deal than they want it to be. Can somebody in the room say amen? And some people in your life, you'll find this out, are acting the way they act because they know the reaction that they get from you. They're only doing it because of how you act when they do it. And they like to see you out of control. They like to see you lose your cool. Can I tell you, nothing brings your children more satisfaction than you lose in your mind. Because if you lose your mind, it justifies everything they've ever done in their life. Because you're telling them to have control and you don't even have control. So I've got to learn. Listen to me. I've got to learn. I've got to learn. I'm not saying you. I'm saying I've got to learn. How to rule my spirit. I found out, man, if, if I'm in a situation that makes me feel reactive, you know what I need to do? I need to get out of that situation. I'll need to lean into that situation. Because if I lean into that situation, 
I'm gonna end up hitting somebody in that situation. So I need to get myself out of that situation. The Bible teaches us that everyone should be slow to anger, quick in mercy, quick to listen. And if I find myself in a situation where I feel reactive in, in my speaking, reactive in, in my body language, reactive in my neck, you know how that, you know how anger just kind of starts in your neck and you just kind of hold it in and your face can just, you know, you just look at some people and they cannot hide their emotions. I'm one of those kind of people. Like if you want to know how I feel, just look at me. Just look at me. If you want to know how I feel, just look at my face. I'll tell you how I feel by by virtue of you just looking at my, words don't even have to come out of my mouth. I'll just show you how I feel with my face. It's, it's kind of a joke in our, in our team, with, within our team. Like they know like little signals like when Robbie's frustrated. And they joke about it. It's like, like if, Rob, if Robbie's mad, okay, okay, okay. If Robbie's mad, what does Robbie do? Can, can, uh, can, my kids, will you stand up and just show them some stuff? Like if I'm mad, what's something I, I do? something I do. The Leah, what, what else? I, just, I do this. Like if I'm frustrated. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You had your moment. Now sit down. Shut up. <laughs> but the Bible tells me in Proverbs 25, 28 says, he who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. When you don't have rule over your spirit, anybody can just get in. Anybody can just determine how your day's gonna go. Anybody, if you don't rule your spirit, somebody else will rule your spirit. And if you're not in control, somebody else is in control. And if you're not dictating your attitude, then somebody else is dictating your attitude. I wanna be in control of my spirit. Proverbs 19 and 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 15 and eight says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife but slow to anger people, calm a dispute. James 1:19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know what else I found out? I found out that I'm actually very smart, but sometimes my delivery is stupid. Does anybody else discover this about yourself? Like I have the answer, but my delivery of the answer was terrible. And so, so I, I've, I've, I've been frustrated with my kids before, and I've told you this before, like I, I tell my kids like sometimes when they're not listening to me, like listen, people fly me all over the world to give them advice. It's actually my job to get up every week and tell people what the Bible says. And you don't listen to me? <laughs> that doesn't help them. They don't give a rip that I'm a pastor. They don't care that I have a degree on the wall. They don't care how many people come to this church. They don't care. <laughs> it's not impressive to my kids. So I've got, I've got to learn. James 3.17 says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, it's pure. You can have the answer, but you can be impure in your motive to deliver the answer. Man, I'm seeing a lot of that today. People have great answers. People have incredible thoughts. But the problem is your delivery. It's pure. It's peace-loving. If the attempt of your wisdom isn't peace, it's not from heaven. 
Oh, man. It's considerate. This is what wise people look like, the Bible says. Submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial. Sincere. Wow. But we live in a culture that just wants to one-up people. Well, you said this, well, I'll post this, and I'll one-up you. And you said that, and I'll say this, and I'll one-up you. Oh, you think that's how it is, and I'll say this, and I'll get you. But that's not wisdom. You think you're so smart. And maybe the answer isn't really the problem. Maybe it's your delivery of the answer. So that's the first thing I've got to learn to do, is I've got to learn to rule my spirit. Second thought. I've got to learn to look for good. I've got to learn to look for good. The Bible teaches me in Proverbs eleven twenty seven. 27, it tells me if I'll look for good, I'll find it. And if I'm looking for evil, evil will come looking for me. And the problem with our culture right now is that nobody's really looking for good. Everybody has the microscope on everybody's life looking for evil. They want to catch you in something. They want to be able to destroy you because of something. They want to ruin you because of something. And you need to be very careful when you've got that attitude because you keep looking for evil, oh, you'll find it. You'll find it because it'll come looking for you. And every stone that you unturn in somebody else's life, get ready for God to unturn. Overdo some, overturn some stones in your own life. Because you need to be careful. New Testament tells me, be careful. Your sins will find you out. And we're really good at finding out other people's sins, but not very good about finding out, dealing with our own sin. But thank God, he'll help us. He'll discover them and open them up and reveal them for us. Wow. So I've got to look for good. I've been thinking about this lately, especially with people that I strongly disagree with. Anybody in the room got somebody in your life you like strongly disagree? And that's a calm way, that's a polite way of saying it. I strongly disagree with some people right now. But what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to remember that everybody that I know is probably fighting something that I don't know. So what I've, what I've been trying to do is, God, help me understand people that I disagree with. Help me try to help them before I fix them. And the problem with Christians is we've been conditioned by a good works mentality that we fix people before we help them. We clean them up before we catch them. You can't, catch some, you can't clean something up if you haven't caught it. And the problem with us is we haven't caught their attention. We haven't caught their focus. We haven't caught their eye. And so we're trying to fix people we haven't even caught. And no wonder they reject it. No wonder they push back against it. Because nobody really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And we are, a, we are a society obsessed with knowledge, but not care. So how can I help them? How can I 
try to understand them. I was telling my kids when they were growing up, if they were ever to be bullied, I told them, I said, listen, most bullies are bullied. Most of the kids that are picking on you are being picked on by a parent, by someone in their own life, a brother or sister. And that expression, especially at 10, 11 years old, that expression is something that is the overflow from what's going on in their own life. I'll never forget, I was about 13 years old and this kid was picking on me every day. We would, I was out on the playground and he would, he would just find me and he would jump on my back and push me on the ground and kind of, you know, just kind of pick at me like that. And uh, one day, I, I went over to him at lunch and I just sat by him and I, I asked the craziest question. And I said, hey, what do I have to do for you to stop picking on me? He looked at me like, what are you, what are you, first of all, why are you at my lunch table? <laughs> what kind of question is that? And it's, it's crazy. Two weeks later, he continued to do it for about two weeks. But two weeks later, he comes over to my lunch table and he says, you know what? If you could have your mom pack me one of those sandwiches. My mom was giving me the best lunch every day, and he hated me for it. He hated me for it. Because he had nothing at lunch. I didn't even realize it. So I started bringing him a sandwich. Changed everything. That's not how we think in our culture. We get bullied, we want to bully back. But that's not the way of the cross. That's not the way of Jesus. We get pushed, we want to push back. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of the cross. That might be the way the world conditions you. That might be the world, the world trains you. But that's not the way of, of Jesus. We're on mission here as ambassadors for God, as ambassadors of Christ. We're on mission to help heal the broken people around us. And if we're going to heal the broken people around us, we're going to start having to ask the broken people around us, what can we do to help you? I'm not here to fix you. I just want to help you. Bob Goff said something years ago that changed, changed my life. He said, I used to want to fix everybody in my family. Now I'm just too old and I just want to be with them. What if we could get that perspective when we're young? And the point, the point I think of Christianity is that we get, an, we get an eternal perspective while we're young. I think that's our advantage over the world, is that the world doesn't start thinking about the end of things until the end of things. The Christian is always thinking about the end of things. Tomorrow isn't promised, the Bible teaches, to nobody. So I've got to live today like I don't have tomorrow. So how would I treat even my enemies if tomorrow wasn't promised to me? So I look for good. I, I, I have to become obsessed with looking for good, even in the worst situations. Philippians 4 and 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. 
And no wonder we have a problem looking for the good because we keep filling our lives with the bad. It's constantly feeding ourselves negative information with, with negative, from negative people and it just it overwhelms us. And so no wonder there's, there's an inability even in the church, even with Christian people, to look for good. I don't expect the world to look for good, but I do expect the community of God to look for good. I expect this to be a church that looks for good. That's what I expect. Look for good. Wow. Third thought. Take your peace back. Take it back. Matthew chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, the Bible says Jesus is teaching his disciples what to do when they go out to preach the gospel. He says, so when you go out, he, he tells them what to take with them, and then he gives them this instruction. He says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. <laughs> if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off of your feet. I want to ask you this question today. Where, where, whose house did you leave your peace at? Did you leave your peace at your ex's house? Did you leave your peace in your previous marriage? Did you leave your peace in your previous job? Take it back. Some people are like, I lost my peace. You can take it back in the name of Jesus. You can take it back. And he said, one of the ways you do that is when you leave town. He said, he said, shake the dust off of your feet. Why? Don't let the dirt from that house or the issues from that house or the problems from that house enter with you into the next house. And so many people, you, have, you, you left your peace there because you didn't shake your dust off. And you took all that dirt into your next relationship. You took all that dirt into your next marriage. You took all that dirt into your next church. Come on, somebody. You took all that dirt into your next job. And God was like, no, you need to shake that dirt off of your life. That old dirt doesn't belong in this new situation. Don't do that to yourself. Take your peace back you got to stop taking stuff from your previous relationships from your previous experiences into the next one let me give you three people you can't help you can try to help them these are people you can't help first of all there are people who don't think they need it People who don't think they need help. Even salvation requires you acknowledging your need to be saved. Right? So you can't convince someone to take medicine when they don't even believe they're sick. So what do you do? You pray that God would heal them of their blindness. You pray that the scales would fall off of their eyes and they would see clearly. Secondly, you can't help people who know they need it but don't want it. Because everything that's wrong doesn't feel wrong until you suffer the consequences of the wrong. 
<laughs> Third type of person. People who don't want it from you. I, I, have, I have saved myself so much drama just from the realization that there are some people in this life who they want help and they will listen to the help when it comes just as long as it doesn't come from me. Now I've realized I don't have to keep talking to that person until I am blue in the face. I can let them go. Some people want help, they just don't want it from you. And you have to get comfortable with that. This is not, you'll waste your time trying to convince people to listen to you who will never listen to you. Just something about you that rubs them the wrong way. They don't like the way you, they don't like the way your face looks. They don't like the way you comb your hair. They don't like the way you wear your clothes. They don't. They just don't like you. Have you ever, even for you, there are just some people, you just like, I just, I love you in Jesus' name, but man, I don't want to be around you. Like, I just don't. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need parenting advice from the single barista at Starbucks. <laughs> I want help. I just don't want it from someone who's never raised a kid before. Sorry. I love you. You make a mean white chocolate mocha. <laughs> but your parenting advice is terrible. <laughs> So I take my peace back from the people that don't want my help. They won't listen to me. He said, shake the dust off your feet and move on to someone else. When Jesus was coming near the end when he was going to give his life on the cross, he wanted to go into this certain town and the disciples went ahead and they asked the people in this town, hey, can we stay with you? And they looked at him and said, no. And they went back to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, they won't, um, they won't open up their doors to us. Do you want us to call fire down from heaven and kill all of them? <laughs> this is the way some Christians are acting right now. Yeah. They just want to call fire down from heaven and kill everybody. Jesus says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. And they moved on to another town. Because a closed door here means an open door somewhere else. And you're wasting all of your energy and your time trying to kick a door down that is not meant for you. That's freedom. What do I do with those type of people? Give them up. Notice what I said there. I did not say give up on them. I said give them up. In Romans chapter one and verse 28, the Bible says about some people who were struggling in sexual sin and they just did not wanna listen to God. He said they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So he gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They're not gonna listen to me. Maybe they'll listen to the consequences. That's how God 
will treat people. If they, if they refuse to listen to me, they're gonna have to answer to the consequences of those actions. And maybe the consequences will help them change their mind. And for some people, you are in the way. You're trying to help, but you're actually in the way. You're trying to fix them, but you're actually the problem. That's why you need to learn what type of people you can help and what type of people you cannot help because you're trying to help somebody who doesn't want your help. There are some people in your life that God wants you to give up. And when I give them up, what I'm doing is I'm just turning them over to the consequences of their actions. And listen to me, as a parent, that can be one of the most difficult decisions you ever have to make in your life, but you have to do it. Remember the, the prodigal's dad? He knew the prodigal was a mess. He knew he would end up the way he ended up. He knew his life would fall apart. Prodigal comes to him and he says, Dad, I want all my money. And the dad says, okay, here's your money. Let's see, see how you like that. All right, so the son runs off and he does exactly what an immature son would do. He spends all of his money on sinful living, finds himself in a pig pen, getting ready to eat pig's food and wakes up. The Bible said he came to himself. And if you're not careful, you will try to save people from the consequences of their actions and you will destroy them in the process. When, when the consequences are not as destructive as you trying to save them. People can come back from almost anything with God on their side. You, you, you're, you're so concerned, oh, no, that, that'll, that'll destroy them. Oh, no, no, no. You, you, this is where you have to trust God to be a better parent than you are. This is where you have to trust God to know better than you know. This is where you have to trust God that these kids, he gave them to me as a steward, and they really belong to him. So he is, their, he is the one ultimately responsible for their life and their progress. He is their God. So I have to trust him. Man, this is, this is hard, but if not, you'll spend 20 of your, of your years trying to make somebody into something they'll never be until you give them up. Sometimes our helping, our helping is enabling. <laughs> That's why I tell people all the time, listen to me. Listen. If you're here and you're lonely, can I, can I caution you in your loneliness? If you're not careful, your need for company will keep you in bad relationships. You cannot chase your needs and your purpose at the same time. If you're here in this room today and you're lonely and you're focusing on your loneliness, that loneliness will keep you in bad relationships. It'll keep you there. Can I help you? Parents in the room, friends in the room, aunts, uncles in the room. For some people, the best of you is not enough. Jesus was the best leader 
and friend you could ever have. And still people walked away from him. Still people rejected him. Still people betrayed him. Wow. I love Jesus and his dealing with people in relationships because he knew how to properly place people. One of the most incredible stories in the Bible is how, how within just a few verses he rejects or rebukes Peter and he embraces Judas. This is, this is not how we would treat these two relationships. Jesus tells his friends that he's gonna go to the cross, he's gonna die and he's gonna suffer. And Peter looks at him and says, no, not you. This is never gonna happen to you. And Jesus says, I rebuke you, Satan. Get behind me. As Jesus is praying in the garden, Judas walks up to him. Jesus embraces him. Judas even kisses him. And Jesus says to Judas, do what you came to do. Think about that for a second. If, if you know how to properly manage the relationships in your life, you'll know when friends are actually hurting you and enemies are actually helping you. But if not, you'll try to kick every Judas out of your life and embrace every Peter. What was the difference? Peter was trying to keep him from his purpose. Judas was trying to deliver him to it. And you have to recognize this. You have to know how to deal with people because if you don't, you'll kick every Judas out of your life. Every person that was sent by God to elevate you, you'll kick them out. Every person that was sent by God to promote you, you'll kick them out. Every person that was sent by God to embrace you into your purpose, you'll kick them out. And every person that tells you you should never have to go through anything, you, you, you the poor little thing, you should never have to suffer, you should never, yeah, how dare your parents talk to you like that? How dare your, how dare, how dare anybody correct you, you precious little lamb baby? Some of your friends you need to rebuke because they're trying to destroy your life with comfort. So I gotta learn, how, who, how do I, how do I, who, who, who are the people I can't help? Who are the people that are trying to help me? Who are the people that are trying to hurt me? When is it time for me to, to give up? One of the ways you figure this out is you confront quickly. Confront quickly. This is not a gift in my life, confrontation. Titus 3 and 10 says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Do you know that's in your Bible? Do you know the Bible actually tells you, gives you more reasons to stay away from Christians than it does unbelievers? You should read your Bible. It's awesome. It says, so, so I give no room to division I clearly communicate to the people in my life there's no room for manipulation, intimidation, childlike behavior because you cannot correct what you refuse to confront. And it's an inability sometimes in our lives to deal with our frustrations that drains the satisfaction from our life. Some of you, you got a friend right now and you're, you, you're so frustrated with them and they're draining so much satisfaction from your life but you refuse to confront. 
you refuse to tell them, hey, uh, you, you can't keep talking to me like that and we remain friends. I'm not here for you to just beat up on. Like, I'm not here for you to just kind of throw all your stuff on to me. I'm not here for you to, to lash out at, that's, that's not why I exist. And so I need you, if this relationship is gonna move any further, I need you to quit that. <laughs> Man, that's not easy, is it? Because we think sometimes allowing stuff, this is the big misconception is that Christians are just punching bags. You're just there so everybody else can just beat up on you. You know, if they slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Stop taking that out of context. <laughs> Need a whole message to talk to you about that. Just let them, just, just let them abuse you, take advantage of you. No. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> I confront quickly. For some people in my life, no. You can't have my phone number. No, you cannot have my address. Some people I'll call, I'll block my number when I call them. I don't want you to have the ability to call me back. Some of y'all need to get the gift of the mute button in your life. The unfollow, the Block this person from your timeline. Ooh. This would change your life. My wife came to me a couple weeks ago. She's like, I just, this person, I was like, you can mute them. She's like, I can. That's right. Mute them. Two weeks. My marriage has been better in these past two weeks. In the past 25 years. I'm just kidding. Sometimes you need that gift of mute unfollow, block. Not everybody deserves access to your life. Wow. You guys started playing music. It makes me want to just like stop. But I got to know. I got to go. I got to quit. I got to quit. Will you stand with me today? <laughs> Moses, the Bible says, says there came a point where the people complained so much that God got mad and he was gonna, he was gonna take everybody out. And Moses goes to God and he actually says, listen, God, you can't, don't, please don't do that. Please don't take all of these people out. Please don't do that. And God looks at me, he says, Moses, for your sake, I'll forgive them. But not one person who complained against me and talked bad about you is gonna go into the promised land. Not one. Moses is, in, Moses, because of this prayer, actually, actually talk God into keeping people in his life that God was trying to remove from his life. And these same people that, God, that Moses begged God to keep in his life are the same people that made him lose his cool and hit the rock when he was supposed to speak to it.
Moses. Water from rocks, seas parting, but he couldn't manage relationships. And he missed out. And some of us in this room, we're missing out on so much because we are not intelligent relationally. And we're not trying to get any better or any smarter. We keep doing the same thing over and over again. We keep dealing with our kids the same way over and over again. We keep dealing with our spouse the same way over and over. Our coworkers the same. We, we repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again. But I'm thankful today that the Bible, is anybody in the room grateful that the Bible teaches me how to handle the relationships in my life? So Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name that you have not left us alone when it comes to our relationships. You have not left us comfortless. You have given us instruction. You've even given us stories throughout the Bible to show us what to do, what not to do. God, help us to use the Bible as a resource to grow stronger in our relationships. In a day when people are so divided, people are so polarized, help the church, help the church, help the church be a uniter in the name of Jesus. Help us to have a soft answer that turns away the wrath of our enemies in Jesus' name. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you that you're moving among us right now. We thank you that you're even convicting us as moms and dads, as brothers, as sisters, as kids, as Thank you. You're dealing with our hearts. Help us to apply what we've heard, to apply what we now know in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, to you be the glory. I, I praise you even now for relationships that are restored, for relationships that are put back in their right place. I pray, I thank you even now for sons and daughters coming back into relationship with parents. I thank you even now that forgiveness will be the overflow of this message. I thank you even now that reconciliation will be the reward that we reap from this message. We thank you now that you're bringing us together. Uh, 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 we, cannot, we cannot stand and defeat our enemy if we are divided one another. We cannot, we, we cannot destroy the work that the enemy has planned if we're by and devouring one another. We need to have one another's back in this day and in this hour. Christians need to stand together, united with a united front for one another. We're not gonna fight against one another. We're gonna fight for each other in our marriages, with our children, with our church family, on our jobs. Help us in the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody in the room said amen. Amen, amen. amen.